Hello, my name's Fleur Emery. Welcome to the award-winning Real Work podcast. Real Work is my online membership that democratizes business learning for women. We create content and community that will improve your confidence, knowledge and network by around 50% in as little as three months. And we know that because we've been measuring the data. The Real Work podcast brings you loose and lively conversations, very lively at times, <laughs> with women who have taken the women's work rule book and ripped it up and sometimes even used it for hamster bedding. We're here to show you what's possible for you in your own career. So have a good listen and enjoy. Now, let's find out who's coming up on today's episode. This week on The Real Work Podcast, our guest is Natasha Caruana, who is an award-winning and internationally recognised artist and photographer, and now an educator. She worked within universities for seven months before... Seven months? That wasn't very long. (laughs) She worked for seven years before... (laughs) We wouldn't be putting that on our LinkedIn, would we? That would probably be because you'd have left because something untoward had happened, which it didn't. She worked as an art lecturer for seven years, um, more in fact, more than seven years before leaving to start Workshow Grow, which is what she's here to talk about. Workshow Grow is an online community that supports artists to create work and then critically to commercialise it on their own terms, which is something... It's her zone of genius. It's really unusual and it really lights her up, as you will hear. Unfortunately, our usual technical problems setting up were extrapolated this time. So, yeah. So listen out for a few groans before um, the conversation starts. Welcome to the Real Work Podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Natasha Caruana, founder of Workshow Grow. And, um, we've had quite a few arty guests recently, haven't we, Bacchus? We have. We're definitely finishing this series on an arty note. We've had lots of very creative people. Yes, all the creatives. Lovely. So, um, Natasha, you're the creative cherry on our little, you're on a little jiggling panna cotta. You're the little maraschino cherry to top it all off. You are a different kind of artist. You're an artist who has navigated the world of art and the world of commerciality. And that's something that your fellow artists struggle with. And you've made a solution to that. Discuss, which is what you'd say because you're a lecturer. (laughs) For me, well, what I suppose it's about having two different passions And I think I have my art, but I'm also really passionate about also helping other artists as well. So in terms of my business or my career, it's kind of a coming together of both of those aspects. And I think because I really struggled, I've been making work, you know, I graduated on my BA maybe, I don't know, 18 years ago. So I've been doing it for a long time. And during that time, I didn't have, you know, I'm first generation to go to university and I didn't, I didn't have the sort of funny uncle that was an art collector I didn't have any ins in the art world and it's taken a long time to kind of navigate that so I really want to help other people do it and also artists can be thriving I don't believe in the scenario of a starving artist like we are the co-breakers of the world we are so creative we're so amazing we're so unique actually we need to be paid for it and we need to get money for it and I think it's really important to 
help artists navigate that in their own terms because it looks different for everybody and that's the important thing I think it's not about selling out or maybe chasing this market you know the market is a different place than the art world you know it's kind of two separate things so finding something that is yeah fitting for you or fitting for all the artists that are within work show grow which is our online art school there you are Buckers. you've got all the notes that you need for the show notes you can just go and have a jacket potato and chat to the plumber yeah i've already had to move location twice today <laughs> where are you in the cupboard well there's plumbing issues in the downstairs bathroom which is directly below where i record i like to call it my recording studio it's my grand spare room so now <laughs> i'm in let me just hold up my camera i'm in my grandmother's bedroom oh crochet central that's quite private don't show too much. Did you see them? One of the Kardashian children went live on TikTok and gave a full tour of the house. I mean, this is the real work equivalent. <laughs> this is what the internet really wants. <laughs> You're going to break the internet by showing it in behind the scenes look at your nana's quilt. I wonder what the weirdest thing in here is. It's fitting that we've got a plumber because I always, I always think of that analogy with artists. I think actually, you've got a plumber in your house right now, and they're doing a job for you. And you don't say, oh, oh, amazing, mate. I love that job. I'll give you some exposure. And I think yeah. that's what happens in the art world. In the art, in the art, artists, they're like, oh, I really love that. And you wouldn't ever imagine saying to a plumber, oh, you might, you know, you'll meet some people or we'll pay you next time. But with a plumber, you have to pay them when they're there doing the job. Mm. And that's what I like to think with artists as well. It's like, why should we not take money and just say, oh, this kind of magical exposure is not going to put food on your plate is it <laughs> I think that I completely agree the 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 problem to overcome is the pain right there that's the thing because when um you called the plumber whenever you did that's presumably because there was a you know calcified turd blocking up the loo bend or something and that, that needed excavating um or there was um, some type of plumage, there was some type of leakage, there was something that was causing distress that you couldn't fix yourself. Yeah. And so he's got you over a barrel. By the time he comes, yeah. you need that toilet. You know, you it's it's got to happen. And also, you know, with, with, with various sort of services that we buy, like with a lawyer or something like that, you know, we're in the police station, we've been arrested. We're not going to say, oh, can I pay you next time? That's the problem. And so... The, the social problem is our understanding of art, isn't it? And, and what it does for us. And that's why, that's where your work is helping. I'm going to give an example. For the, we've got some really um, art-engaged listeners, but for some who aren't, a brilliant way to bring them into your world and to sort of show why we wanted you here was to talk about um the workshop you did on camp real work so in the summer we all decamped the new forest and um, rented a kind of well place i mean <laughs> it was a, it was habitable just barely and we all congregated ate jacket potatoes and um, spent two days in perfect harmony and you delivered a workshop and P there was lots of people there who wouldn't describe themselves as like understanding, appreciating or particularly valuing art. And you told the story of two of your photography projects and it was so engaging and so moving mm -hmm. that amongst us in various groups, we discussed it for a long time and it literally mm. switched on 
a light switch in people's minds. Would you mind giving us a, su a summarised version of either of those two projects so that people can understand why you are you are so good at you know making that connection yeah well my work is autobiographical so I think straight away there makes a connection with me talking about my life so it's personal narratives but I work really hard to make the personal narratives universal so it's things in every day around relationships so the making of relationships the breaking up of relationships just how we exist and the couple of pro I've done probably about nine series right now. Like it's been a life's work looking at love and betrayal and fantasy. And one of my early works was called Married Man. And for that piece, I inspired by my own life, having had a relationship with a married man for five years when I was 18 years old. He was one of the reasons that I went to university and kind of took me out of South London, hanging out. And he, <laughs> he supported me to go and actually get an education. And, but the really strange thing is that when you've given somebody, when somebody comes into your life like that, actually it's hard to think, was that the life I was meant to be having? Am I actually meant to be where I am? So in order to work through this, I decided, actually I didn't decide, I just thought what would happen if I started to date multiple married men to see would it kind of change my thoughts around it? And at the same time, I had just read something that beyond the pleasure principle, Freud talks about, if you repeat something that's traumatic, it can become pleasurable. So I was like, right, I'm just gonna repeat seeing married men. So I kind of did this kind of semi-performance piece and kind of a social anthropological documentation. And I started to date married men over an 18 month period. And I dated 54 men altogether, went on 80 dates. And I kind of collected almost like the data of what was happening across the tabletop. So I just went for one meeting with them, one encounter. They didn't know it was an art project. And I was able to gather this conversation, how they saw me as a potential mistress, but also how they were negotiating technology, how they were thinking about the institution of marriage. And obviously it's a really interesting question ethically because am I in the wrong making artwork about them or are they in the wrong by cheating on their families or their wives? And so it's a question that the audience is kind of given and the work is shown as a large tableau, fragments. So it's just hands or plates or empty seats, no faces, because I'm not interested in revealing them. And then also there's a sound piece that's played. So when I went on these dates, I actually had a purse with me, which at the time was a, a mode of safety for me. I thought if I recorded everything, then it's kind of a, there's somehow there's a documentation of what happened. But it ended up using that sound of just them saying goodbye to me. So when you walk into the gallery, you kind of hear this sound piece and then you see all the images in front. And you are very much asked to think about what you think about marriage or what you think about divorce or infidelity. And everybody comes to that work differently. Some people walk in the gallery and laugh and say, I would never wear that jumper on a date. Like, why is that man wearing that jumper? <laughs> and in the work, you see different clues that are played out, like a lot of payment with cash. There's not many wedding rings on show, you know, where I'm being taken. And that piece was really quite important in my career because, you know, obviously, I got a lot of abuse online for it, a lot of trolling, but it went viral. And it really made people start to think about me as an artist that was sort of questioning how we do things and what the future is of relationships. And my work has kind of gone on. I went on and did different pieces around the, the change of the wedding dress. The wedding dress was something that always be kept in families. 
passed on through generations. And I did a piece of work that looked at how the wedding dress was now being sort of sold online. Once you've taken the pictures on, on the, and shared them on Instagram, you can then actually discard the wedding dress. It became like a prop of this performance of the happiness forever. And then a later piece of work I did around love at first sight and whether love at first sight was true or not, because I actually experienced love at first sight, something I'd never imagined would ever happen to me. But I did that classic, walked into a bar, my eyes met somebody and we got married six months later before I'd even lived with him. And so the, the story kind of looked at the science behind love at first sight and also personal people's personal experience of it. And again, like a lot of the work, that's another question I present to the audience of, do you believe in love at first sight? What's the science behind it? What's the future of love at first sight? Will there be a point in this commercial world that we are moving towards more and more that, you know, Amazon will be selling a spray where they've got the hormone chemical correct and we can walk around and spray love? I mean, we just don't know. So I just find it really fascinating, this topic. And I've spent in many years doing a lot of research and making, you know, making visual outcomes of, of my work. Thank you for sharing that. And I just remember there was so, it generated so many interesting conversations. And I think actually, I don't think it would be over-egging it to say that the conversations that followed that workshop is how we all got to really, really know each other. Because... It, so there was some, there was all kinds of, there was some out, out moral, moral outrage of some of the things that were shared. There was sort of restrained, um, you know, people restraining themselves from saying what they really felt. Everyone brought their own experiences to it. It was really, it was really immersive for all of us. And it made me really appreciate and understand what you do. I'm just going to skip back a bit to before you gave us that wonderful description you you mentioned when you were sort of talking about your background about you said when I was at university blah 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 I was the first person to go to university when I was art school and you know there wasn't anyone in my family to bankroll me and we sort of skipped across that but that's a really interesting subject that we've been talking about a lot in real work about sort of acknowledging our own privileges and about um being part of a system that um that benefits some of us more than others and it's funny because when I was at university the Slade was part of my university and I was friends with people from the Slade at art school and that was the case when at the end of year show one of them there was all this buzz went around and it would be their relatives who are like very famous hoteliers with like sort of huge humongous surnames and people who would come and there was there was a pathway kind of around that privilege within that world. And I didn't really realise till later on how much that is a part of it. How, has that changed since then? That was 20 years ago. Yeah, I think it's very much the same. Even the way that being able to set a price for your work or, or see your work that's a commercial, see your work in a commercial enterprise um, entity is that, you know, I wasn't brought up around you know, my dad would come, like my dad's a, a clown, he's a professional clown my whole life. And I remember on a Saturday afternoon, he'd come in from doing a birthday party and he'd like throw 50 quid in cash. It was like, oh my God, money. And it was very much about just what was there at that moment when we'd go to the supermarket. You know, it was the most embarrassing thing. I'd never go with my mum to the supermarket. She'd always not have money. And, you know, it was very much, it wasn't about, 
I wouldn't know anything about shares or anything know about prices. And I think that really helps you if you're in those conversations. If you're sitting having dinner and your mom and dad are talking about business or you're at a dinner party and you hear that, and that's just part of the fabric of your childhood, then it does, I think it does feed into you being a more confident artist in terms of sales, like even at a graduate show. Because for me, I'd be in the corner thinking, you know, my graduate show, I just put work in progress up. I felt like I hadn't finished it. I didn't have the money to finish it. And that was quite a bold move to show work in progress. And actually, I started that married man work as um, in my MA degree show. And I went on to finish it. And someone supported me to finish it in the art world. And it's so much about, yeah, if, if there's this kind of hype around you, which can be fabricated through friends and family, and that isn't a bad thing then it's, it does give you that, as you say, that super highway. On the flip side of that, if um, your parents are talking about share prices, that's using up time when they could be talking about other, other kinds of things, right? Which, for example, so what was, what, what was the discussion in your home? Um, we, our discussion was play, probably. I'm one of five children, and we had a big, we had a we did, had a big playroom and no TV. And my mum ran a toy shop, and my dad was a clown, so it was very much about play. And we lived in a house with, um, like, next door we had five kids, and then the other door they had four kids, and we'd just all be this mass. Our do front door was always open, so we just had kids running around like feral, <laughs> you know, basically. Let's take let's take a vote from Buckets Buckers. If you could have grown up in the Carolina household, <laughs> or in um, the the money house with the hotelier uncle talking teaching you about share prices, what are you going for? They both sound terrifying. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> but for sure, I'm growing up in the house with a dad for with a with a clown. With the show as tunes a dad. and the and the dressing up box and the 100%. clowning. Yeah, the creativity uh, and the freedom to explore you know your own games and your own imagination I bet you made up loads of like you bet you did loads of those imaginary play games and had like your own yeah we did going on I would have loved that. yeah we did we did I mean it was it was I think it's kind of interesting looking back on it now I mean I think it was probably a bit too feral you know we 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 were we did have social workers come and visit us, and but it was on the, you know. So it's like that, I think actually that was of the time as well. Also, yeah, kind of. Yeah. I mean, different times, different times, and yeah, as well, times. it's um that sense of freedom, that autonomy that you had, and that um extension of the imaginary world that got you where you are, that made you who you are, and you. You, you arrived. Yeah, it's you true. I, I suppose just in terms of business aspects, um, it's just, I think it might have been more useful just to understand, for example, I've had to learn all of this through setting up Work Show Grow, you know, the last two years of opening letters and filing things and understanding a sense of order. And I think somehow that's sort of ingrained at you at an earlier age, like order and that I think a little bit of that might have been useful, <laughs> essentially. So, so you went on to lecture universities whilst doing your own um, practice and you were teaching photography. Yeah. Tell me about when you decided to start Work Show Grow. Yes, so I, I actually came into lecturing really early. I've always really enjoyed teaching. And I think through, through working, I kind of got a job 
a full-time job after a few years of doing you know adjunct and sessional and all of this world that happens in academia where you're just trying to get on the payroll and they get treated quite badly and then eventually I was offered this full-time job at the University of Creative Arts and yeah I worked there for six years and then I just felt like I was getting a bit um yeah like a bit disheartened with where education was going particularly having come from I was quite amazing you know quite amazing I got free education um you know got a free place at university and now you know these nine thousand pound a year places and I think it's really hard actually and so because of that I've always been the one to support positive discrimination and to kind of give a lot of extra help to people that are really struggling you know trying they can't even afford the train fare to come to university I've always been really supportive and put a lot of my own time into those students and a couple of things happened at university where I didn't agree with I didn't agree with what was happening you know around assessment around favoritism and I ended up resigning and I now policy has changed but on that resignation day I decided that actually if I'm going to resign and I need the wage I'm going to make something so it was literally as quick as yeah. going on to GoDaddy, going on to Squarespace. I made, I, I got the email, got the, I, you know, the name Work Show Grow. People actually really love it, but I actually don't really like it that much. It was just such a quick thing to do. And then I created doing workshops. But over that summer of me doing workshops, I did a couple. I actually ended up getting a job with University Arts London. So they kind of asked me, would I work on this course? And so Workshop Crow kind of didn't become what I thought it was going to be. However, during the pandemic, when um, everything shut down, I've always been quite techie, except for setting up your microphone system <laughs> today. Um, you know, I kind of already knew about Zoom and Instagram Lives and doing all those bits. Suddenly, when the pandemic hit, I just started to do free events. I got so frustrated by a inbox, literally full Sorry, cancelled, 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 cancelled. Can you remember that time? Everything cancelled. Yes. Particularly in the cultural industries. And I just thought, actually, this is a moment where we can do something different. So Workshow Grow fired up in its dormant state. And we started to do these free events over the pandemic. And by the time the summer kind of hit, people were asking for workshops. People wanted my time. We had this amazing international community. You know, everyone was talking about it. It was really great, really amazing energy, giving so many people positivity, which was really where I wanted it to go. We decided that actually we would build a school. So my husband, who works in the theater industry, in the print trade for the last 30 years, he had a great time doing all these free events with us and like doing everything. He decided to not go back to work and we would make Workshow Grow School and it was born last September and it's just been absolutely amazing it's a juggle but it's been incredible to go on this journey with you know 130 artists and now 25 women female refugees have joined the school too so we're like 150 artists from around the world all supporting each other in whatever they way they need to get their work in momentum or continue or out there congratulations I've watched it happen and some of the themes from an outside observer, which I think you'll agree with, Buck, is, is the sense of ease that that we see from the outside, the uh, sense of enjoyment and enthusiasm that you communicate, and how clear your mission is. You know what? It seems like all those other things that you went through with you six years in university. You know that tension between 
the sort of modern commerciality of the um, university and your own experience of having more space to be creative you know those things brought you to the point when you really knew who you were what you had to give and who it was for you, you you weren't feeling it out it was a real rally you were really rallying people yeah and I really believe that I just think there's you know now we've called this kind of we're seen as a disruptive educator and actually I think it's so important that there are these spaces that are away from marks and grades and high price tickets and we can have diverse tutors from all around the world that are coming in to speak and that's something that and we can just be agile as well. If something's yes, not working, yes. we can kind of change it. Whereas at a university, you get a chance to rewrite your course every three or four years. <laughs> it's like time's gone on and we can we can be there and we can switch things up quite easily. And that's what's really wonderful about it. And also take feedback from workshop great artists as well. So we can respond and be quite malleable. I'm on the um, Power MBA programme at the moment. And that's a brilliant example of what you're describing, because if... MBAs in university, they change less than once every four years. And so by the time you pay the 10 grand plus whatever and get accepted by the white guys who've all got MBAs, you know, if you get through there, if they pass pass a test with them to get in, they wouldn't like me. They all said no. And um, then you have to find the money and the time to do it. So only, again, there's a skim off the top of society can do that. And then by the time you actually get in university at a desk, it's sort of 10 years out of date, the information anyway. And so Power MBA just said, OK, what about the people who are actually running businesses and starting businesses? They need this information, too. And they deliver everything in 20 minute videos with taught by people who have done done it and they just go straight into the action there's no preamble there's no massive long assignments there's just tests at the end like quick fire tests yes or no what do you think of that what do you think of that just to help you remember it and people just go straight into the action and it's absolutely brilliant it feels just so great learning that way and it's so obvious it's so obvious it's 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 great to see you joining in you know, and and in, in some ways, that's what we're doing in real work as well, because it's, it's a nonsense otherwise, keeping, keeping the information under wraps. Liberate the information. Have you ever seen the Woodstock video? You know, the um, video of the Woodstock Festival, when they had this huge problem with them, too many people arriving and there wasn't enough food. And some yeah. um, people turned up with food and were overpricing the food. And it Wavy Gravy gets on stage with a microphone and says... Um, hey man there's some problems some people are saying you know there's some people aren't queuing to pay for the food and the way I see it is you're hungry and they've got the food liberate the food <laughs> it's like liberate the information just share it out How, yeah I have um, seen that it's so nice such a good film isn't it it's so yeah. so good Buckers do you know what I'm talking about no Buckers never does I'm always too, 20 years out of date. There's this massive age gap. I never get the reference. She has to decode it for our listeners who are under 50. <laughs> Is it like the fire festival? You know, the fire no. festival, the thing that didn't work, the thing that didn't Explain exist. the difference, Natasha, between the fire festival and Woodstock. Um, so the fire festival was very much about the one man band and he wanted to make a lot of money. And he was, it was all sold on a promise. I suppose Woodstock was slightly mm. sold on a promise, but ended up being something so much more it was like this one moment where the band they did play 
but everyone just stayed and everyone just carried on and just supported each other. And people were there for like days, weren't they? And weeks. There was terrible weather. Everything was chaos. Too many people turned out. There weren't any toilets. Yeah. All the roads got blocked and everyone just took all their clothes off and cracked on. Yeah. It's really great. You should watch it. <laughs> and the music was amazing. There's a thing like Carlos Santana does like an eight minute drum solo, which is, you know, which is iconic made of. there's some iconic performances you know um janice joplin let's rip you'll like that bit yeah i mean get in there get in there you like a bit of janice so um let's talk about the nuts and bolts of work show grow in terms of you are now a family of three and you've recruited your husband your love at first sight husband and um you're supporting yourselves, so you're living living the dream by the sea. How how secure are you feeling with that? How, how's that going? What, you know, tell us behind the scenes. We, we basically, we've had loads of amazing successes. You have to give us some pain so the listeners can get on board. <laughs> tell us something that went wrong. Okay. Okay, yeah. There, I think, I think there, are, there are pains, of course. I think everything is, um, everything's been a learning curve. So setting up Work Show Grow was very much about me sharing the knowledge and also making it easier rather than people kind of come to a workshop and pay £100 a day. Actually, they can come for a month and get like four workshops and crits for a lower rate. And through that process, I think quite quickly we grew quite fast and we had quite a lot of people kind of coming on board thinking, yeah, I want some of that. You know, it's all shiny and new. And then what was happening really is that I was pregnant so sort of behind the scenes my grump my bump is growing and when it was launched in September what was I six months pregnant five months pregnant and I think it was really difficult because I had a complicated pregnancy I ended up um, having to be in hospital three days a week being monitored three or four days a week being monitored and the whole time I'm there on my phone trying to keep up this business and actually I found it quite important to not tell people that I was even pregnant or that I was having difficulty and that's because I wanted this space where I didn't have all the questions like my mum or my close friends were asking me I was just like I could just show up and get on with it which I much preferred to do but then when Suki was born in in March we had planned for me to have some time off we'd made some amazing um we had some amazing guest speakers coming from all around the world to kind of fill in. And we had a guest producer come on board. And I was kind of, you know, I was in hospital for a few days after complications. And then obviously you're recovering. Day five, I moved to the seaside with this baby, madness, and away from my family and friends. And through that moment, what we realized is people were kind of cancelling, like, a, a massive amount maybe like an eighth or something like 22 people cancel 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 we don't work, don't want to be part of the school and that was a really big learning curve because I realized that actually people I am a founder I hadn't think of, thought of myself as a founder and as a face of the brand as they say in business and through that I had to do a bit of soul searching because I thought I'm trying to make something really open here I didn't want it to be kind of me and them I wanted it to be a community and so yeah I mean essentially I think that was one of the big learning curves is actually if I'm going to do this and I'm going to have to show up 
and you must feel the same Fleur I mean I think there is quite a bit of pressure on that there's quite a bit on your shoulders of you have to get okay with that quite quickly of people are gravitating to you because maybe there's this I don't know like is it a magical juice that people see that you don't see there's something there that people resonate and that's meant that I've had to sort of question how do I juggle everything number one is my art practice I always want to be making my work and then obviously I've got my family and my new newborn and it it's meant that we've had to really be quite quickly of making a plan of how it works between us so we have a kind of a schedule and we have kind of days that I'm doing work or my husband's doing work and in between we juggle Suki and you know like it is kind of working it's still working but I did think it wasn't going to for a bit <laughs> yeah um, the juggling I actually juggling. imagine you because of your heritage actually juggling <laughs> yeah. I agree with you that um there's that place you know finding your place in in the business you know it's just sustainability is about building the business so that if you're not always there that's okay too not completely painting yourself out of it but building a structure that still happens if you are feeding the baby on the beach and I think that we work towards that my understanding my experience recently with real work has been that early on because I'd had a couple of other businesses before early on in real work when it was quite hokey cokey we're making it up as we went along I could see there was something really magic happening and so I understood that there was an opportunity so there was a kind of a fork in the road when all of that I mean you and I have in common that we both started these things at a sort of sweet spot in time by accident when people were sort of at home and in need and so there was a sort of sudden rush when we said oh do you want do you want to come over to mine everyone sort of went yeah wowee and it was lovely and had that momentum but I definitely was mature enough to just kind of look at that and just think, okay, well, that's, it's not going to always be like that. And how, how do you sort of build on from that instead of sort of keeping, keeping all the money and just working like flat out for yourself until the wheels come off. It's just about sort of build it, building a machine that sort of works with other people, handing over certain things to other people. But, you know, that happens slowly and imperfectly. I mean, I might have gone a bit too far the other way and we've, you know, we've got lots of people involved in lots of different ways. And, you know, <laughs> there's not much change at the end of the month. About 59p at the moment. But uh, <laughs> but that's all right, because on the other hand, you see, I've had two businesses before and I raised a load of money and they were never in profit, which is normal in the food business. So the fact that we actually turned a profit this year is just, you know, that's just it seems great. So I think it's just working out. And as well, having a little baby's a lot, you know, my kid's at school now, so it's it's a bit easier. And it's just sort of feeling it out as you go go along. And equally, churn, as they call it, it's terrible. Can you imagine describing anything to do with people as the churn rate of how many people leave and come about? You know, that's just like unsubscribes. It's important to see it as kind of refinement, data, information understanding maybe they only needed you for a little while maybe you're so successful that people you know it works so well for them that's what in real work you, we get those messages they said I'm, I'm leaving because I'm doing so well now that I'm too busy and I don't need it and I you know 
which is that's great because you've solved their problem and they've spent a certain amount of money you haven't got them hooked in for life so there's all those different sort of levers to pull and find out what's right for you yeah absolutely and I think that's 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 what I had to go through because it was very much it was friendships actually it's really odd isn't it when you're creating friendships and you are giving everything to each other but yet then there's this like icky monetary transit transaction that happens as well so I had to kind of be aware of the value that I was giving and make sure that there's amazing lessons that they're getting they're getting something really really unique and bespoke and then to get okay with the fact that actually this is a business and I've had to really think it's a business and I think that's been a real maturity in the last year and exactly like you did we were really cautious we didn't all the money was just sitting in a bank account like going up and up and there was a point where we were like okay well in September or like summer this year after 10 months I took my first ever, you know, eight eight hundred pounds or whatever it was. I took my first wage from it because I felt like I wasn't ready to take a wage yet. I wanted to really, I don't know, I almost like I needed that pressure of it to succeed, and I needed that first year or year and a half of putting everything into it. And then the maturity we did was we also took on a a community lead, which yeah, has now right. become now become a community manager or studio manager we call her, and she works three days a week. She's super happy. You know, she's doing her PhD right now at uni. She wants to go into academia, but we're like this really interesting, great place for her to sort of learn all those skills on a personal level. And she's doing brilliantly. And it's amazing to see her thrive. And I think I couldn't have, I could have burnt myself out and been that person and done all of that. But actually it's been amazing to see someone else flourish and come up with ideas and see her, see her in the last, you know, four or five months just become this you know amazing part of the business as well this is sustainability because it means that when if something comes up and you break your leg or you know whatever you you have options and you don't just sit there in the hospital with your leg in a cast watching people unsubscribe you know that the thing exists without without you and it's yeah, it's a fine balance. It's a juggle. I think you're doing a great job. You know that. I love I love what you're doing. I really admire what you're doing. And in terms of value, yeah, it is sometimes as women, I think that, you know, it's it's well recorded that sometimes we have difficulty understanding our own value. Like it's easy for me to look at what you do and because I see how unusual it is, so I've known a lot of creative people have really struggled with the stuff that you help people with. So I can see really clearly what your value is. But when when we look at it on ourselves, for from in terms of what value we bring, I I always feel like the easiest way around it is just to keep the conversation open and saying, "This is what the price is. You've been paying this price for six months. How does that feel? Does that feel expensive? You know, do you feel do you want more of this, less of this, and?" We did a thing in real work when we did that. And loads of people said, oh, no, I feel like it's great. I don't think you should be cheaper. I, I mean, you wouldn't expect that. People, you know, the, the old school of, like, talking about pricing wouldn't ever recommend that you ask people. They, they'll say, oh, people will always try and take it cheaper. That's not true. That's not true when you build these kind of businesses. That, you know, like, just like when, you know, the plumber sorts out the, the damp. You, you want to pay them properly, right? So Yeah, and I think it's been amazing in terms of setting something up and to see myself as an, more of an entrepreneur now because yeah, I think that really informs my artwork. 
it, it really informs me being an artist as well. And I think actually more and more I'm thinking artists are entrepreneurs, like they are the ones that are there right, going yeah. and making all the juggle. And that's really helped with, you know, right now, you know, I've got two big solo shows in France. I've got a survey show. My work's taking over the whole of Cannes train station right now, if anyone's going to Cannes <laughs> this December. And so I do have to also like sit back and be like, wow, you know, I'm taking two weeks break this Christmas. Never have I had taken a break like this. And I think we're going to do a digital break because I just want to be like, oh my God, like, wow, you've literally, you're doing it. And that's what I really like to tell people as well, particularly in the school is like, just enjoy and remember, you know, that past self, how much they would freaking be like, wow, go you, look where you are. And I'm really looking forward to taking a bit of time to actually think like, oh my God, like how, how has this happened? <laughs> I'm not surprised that it's happened and I love watching it unravel and it, you just make it, I, I just appreciate how much you sort of enjoy it and there's just a sense of abundance in the whole project that's really lovely to see. Thank you for being our guest. Quickly tell us about what um, artwork that you're working on the moment. So right now, I'm yeah. just finishing off a film actually. It's called Muse on Muse and it's um, going to be a 15 minute piece which is for a new show in April and it's looking at this story of me kind of a very cyclical story of me coming back and wanting to take a photo of my married man from the past my muse from the past and my muse from now my husband and what happens when you try and get two men that have never met to touch naked and take a photo of them and the story looks at this moment in time hang on hang on <laughs> you said the naked word natasha flirt yeah, naked. at least two weeks written notice if that's what, if you want to talk about that kind of thing <laughs> toilets appear too often which is a worry <laughs> you can edit out the number two chat are we um, not allowed to say the yes. word naked? No, 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 Surely. it's not not allowed. It's just, it just piques <laughs> my middle-aged um, interest. So what is actually going to happen? I think, you know, it's such a, a story of twists and turns and it uses images from 20 years of my archive that it's going to have to be seen. So I will, you're going to have to go onto my website and when it gets um, premiered, because the end is, the end is the piece. So I've been playing a lot with the end and actually we're kind of there now. We finished it. We locked the image, as they say, this last week. And so now I'm in the sound booth on the 6th of January and we're just finishing off the narration. And then we're kind of there with it. But it's um, it's kind of like a coming of age piece. And it's a piece where I think I'm going to be putting a lot of demons to bed. And then maybe I'm going to change my artwork. I don't know. There might be something else on the horizon. I'm not sure. But I feel like living by the sea and in this moment of tranquility and calm in my life, even though it's not calm, of course, like happiness, I think there's going to be a turn. So who knows what the next subject will be beyond this work. I can't wait. Thank you so much for being our guest. That's it for today's episode of the Real Work Podcast. Thank you for being with us. This is the part where we remind you to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. And Buckers will probably tell me off if I don't ask you to please rate and review on Apple Podcasts because apparently when you do that, our content reaches more listeners. If you're curious about Real Work, the online membership Improving Women's Confidence Knowledge and Network, head to our website 
dorealwork and sign up for our super newsletter, The Real Worker. All the details that you need to connect with us in any way, you'll find in the show notes. 